Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 135 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's edition of the show, we have an article looking at the introduction of digital medical passports following the COVID-19 pandemic. We then look at the UK government, where the UK government has hinted at its desire to make changes to GDPR within the UK to make GDPR more business-friendly. We then have news of a security flaw which has been exposed on Microsoft Exchange servers, and it's estimated that thousands of servers across the world have been affected. So if you operate a Microsoft Exchange server, please do listen to our article for details of what to do. We then have an embarrassing data breach by the UK government, which has revealed part of how the UK New Year's Honours List process works. And we then turn to Formula One, where Williams had a data breach at the launch of their 2021 Formula One car. Then in the UK, Avon and Somerset Police have paid £7,000 damages after a data breach. And in the US, the AMCA has reached settlement after a data breach. We then move to Ireland, where adopted children in Ireland are to be given the right to see their full birth certificates. And then to Germany, where a German GDPR penalty has been overturned by a federal court. We then look at does a stolen laptop or a lost laptop have to be reported to the ICO? And we then finally look at the extraterritorial application of GDPR. So it's application outside of Europe. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week in this week's episode of the GDPR Witch Show. We hope that you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please email feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we include your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. Now that the COVID vaccination programme is well underway, there's been much talk of COVID passports and how that might work with regard to having some form of recognition that you've had the COVID vaccination and therefore, if you like, that you're COVID safe to take part in other activities or maybe to enter a hospitality establishment. While all countries across Europe, including the UK, are looking into this, France appears to have taken a bit of a lead this week. The French government have announced that digital house passes, which would allow people to resume activities such as going to museums, restaurants, sports centres, and indeed possibly even travelling overseas, could be introduced in France in the coming months. President Emmanuel Macron presented the idea of the house pass at the European Council on February the 25th. He said it would bring many technical questions with respect to individual data and the organisation of freedoms. It is important to stress that even in France, no decision has yet been made about whether the house pass would be obligatory or whether it be a voluntary scheme, nor on who could check passes, or which establishments could ask for a pass. President Macron did say that at the moment a vaccine pass would not work in France, as simply not enough people have yet received the COVID vaccine in France. But of course here in the UK we are substantially ahead on our COVID vaccine programme, and so we do need to look at the practicalities of whether a COVID passport scheme or a COVID health check scheme could viably work. The French junior European Affairs Minister, Clement Bourne, said we maybe need an application where you can show that you've either been vaccinated and protected or that you've had a reliable negative PCR test or a rapid antigen test, as that would mean you are not a COVID risk. 
In France, it's thought that the pass may also contain other medical information, but quite what has not yet been confirmed. It's important to realise that the house pass is almost certainly going to be in digital form, most likely as a QR code on your phone, which could be scanned before entry to hospitality premises, for example. It's thought that that scanning of the pass with a QR code could serve a double purpose. It could serve to prove that the holder has either had COVID-19 or has had a vaccination of COVID-19, but of course it would also enable that data to be stored and maybe analysed centrally, which would allow better track and trace of people if there were to be another outbreak of COVID-19. So we all look now to later this week, when on March the 17th, the European Commission will present the idea of a digital green passport containing information about vaccination and COVID test results, which would allow bearers to travel between countries. Ms von der Leyen for the EU said the green passport would gradually allow Europeans to travel safely within the EU or outside for work or tourism. The full proposition will be presented at the next European Council meeting on March the 25th. So if we look around the world, who else is looking at house passports apart from the UK and France? Well, Israel has introduced a green passport for people who have received two doses of the vaccine or, or who have already had COVID. In Iceland, people who have been vaccinated have received certificates allowing them to travel, although these are not recognised internationally. Denmark and Sweden are also planning to introduce electronic vaccination certificates to facilitate international travel. And in Estonia and Poland, people who can prove they've been vaccinated no longer have to quarantine upon arrival back into the country. Airlines in France, Singapore, New Zealand and United Arab Emirates is, are also beginning to test similar concepts. National carrier Air France is set to ask passengers for a digital health pass for flights from Paris to Guadeloupe and Martinique from March the 11th. And so I think we can see the way that this trend is going and it's doubtless something we will return to in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that in the last few weeks we've been talking about the draft EU data adequacy decision for the UK issued by the European Commission and the long legal pathway that that now has to go through to get to become adopted by the EU so that transfer of data between the EU and the UK can continue unhindered. This week, UK Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden may have accidentally upset the apple chart because whilst talking to the press he mentioned that the UK will explore ways to diverge from the General Data Protection Regulation GDPR to find a sweet spot that will encourage growth in the post-COVID economic recovery. Although he then went on to stress that the UK won't be seeking to water down data protection standards, the government will explore ways to tweak the rules where there might be opportunities to encourage economic growth, he said. And this, understandably, has set some alarm bells ringing in Brussels and around Europe because one of the things which the EU have been wary of in giving the UK adequacy status was that the UK would seek to diverge away from the standards in GDPR. The adequacy decision issued by the European Commission so far, the draft adequacy decision, is very much dependent on the UK not changing any of the fundamental elements of GDPR. And so although the government now has rode back on Mr Dowden's statement a little by saying that any plan changes are a number of years away, nonetheless, I think it was a unfortunate 
statement for him to make at this particular time because we really, really do need the draft data adequacy decision to become adopted by the 27 countries of the EU and ultimately the EU Commission and the EDPB so that data transfers between the EU and the UK can continue without any unnecessary large-scale documentation changes required to every single contract, which is already slow in trade we know in physical goods between the EU and the UK. And it would be a shame, I think a major shame, if that were to happen to digital data too. For our own part, I've already discussed this with our local MP and he's agreed to make representations to Mr Dowden. Again, this is an area which is going to evolve over the next few weeks and months, and so we will continue to bring you regular updates on this on the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. A flaw in Microsoft Exchange email servers has been found this week, and even in the UK, it's believed that some 3,000 UK email servers remain at risk from this floor. The National Cyber Security Centre said it estimated 7,000 servers have been affected by the floor in the UK and so far only half had been secured. It said malicious software had been detected on 2,300 machines but it had helped businesses to remove it. The agency said it was vital that all affected businesses took action to secure their email servers and of course this will not just be in the UK, this will be worldwide. So if you run a Microsoft Exchange email server then do please make sure you've applied the latest security patches. Ransomware groups are understood to have used the floor to install malicious programs, the NCSC warned, although there was no evidence of widespread ransomware attacks on UK companies so far. The National Cyber Security Centre is particularly concerned that smaller businesses may not have heard about the issue, which is part of the reason, of course, why we are including it in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, now reaching over 41,000 people worldwide. Microsoft identified the flaw and brought it to people's attention, but after Microsoft warned the world it had identified the problem and urged all its users to download the latest security updates, other hacking groups quickly became familiar with the flaw. The result was a widespread free-for-all as multiple hacking groups all tried to find unpatched email servers to attack. For the NCSC, Director of Operations Paul Chichester said, We are working closely with industry and international partners to understand the scale and impact of UK exposure, but it is vital that all organisations take immediate steps to protect their networks. While this work is ongoing, the most important action is to install the latest Microsoft updates. He also urged all organisations to familiarise themselves with the guidance surrounding ransomware attacks and to search for any signs that their system may have already been compromised. If we receive any further updates on this, either from Microsoft or the National Cyber Security Centre, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. A data leak this week has proved potentially embarrassing to the UK government as it exposed that COVID private contractors were given help with New Year's Honours nominations. Amazon and Serto are among a number of businesses to receive government help with New Year's Honours nominations, even though they're at the centre of a current row over COVID contracts, a major Whitehall leak has revealed. The leak was revealed in the Sun newspaper and reports that officials asked the companies to nominate staff members for the award in a list that had been accidentally leaked. It's understood that the top civil servant at the business department wrote to firms including Capita, BlackRock, BP 
Facebook, Google and Apple to give them a nod to apply for New Year's honours. Sergio boss Robert Soames also received a letter, as were consulting giants McKinsey, PwC and Deloitte and Bain. Vaccine producers AstraZeneca and Pfizer were also asked to nominate staff. Sarah Mumby, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, BEIS, Permanent Secretary, wrote, I would like to invite you to submit honours nominations on behalf of your organisation as well as for any other individuals you think worthy of recognition. She then invited the bosses to online classes on how to master an awards honours nomination. Mumby also shared the personal contact details of some of Britain's most powerful business bosses in the email at, by accidentally CCing all of them on Wednesday morning. The email addresses of leading trade union bosses were also included in the blunder. And of course this is by far the most typical data breach which we find in all of our work, which is simply that people put other people's email addresses in CC rather than BCC when they're sending emails. It really is simple. Stop using CC. Just use BCC, particularly for anyone outside of your own organisation. And then no one will see who has received the emails. And that is so, so important because unless that individual has given you specific consent to share their email with the rest of the outside world, you really should not do so. We've mentioned this a number of times on GPR Weekly Show. It's a regular feature of our training which we deliver to companies and organisations across the UK and Europe. And it is so simple to get right. Just instruct your staff to use BCC. The incident causes particular embarrassment to government because there's ongoing public criticism on the amount of money spent on the NHS test and trace scheme during the COVID pandemic. BEIS in a statement has apologised to the firms involved and said... As part of the New Year's Honours process, we work with a wide range of business groups and other stakeholders to encourage an ever-increasingly wide and diverse spread of nominations. But to be clear, these emails do not indicate that any specific individual is being actively considered for New Year's Honours, and any nominations received still need to go through a comprehensive, independent consideration process. BEIS takes its information and data handling responsibilities very seriously under GDPR, we have contacted the parties concerned to apologise for the error and have taken steps to mitigate any further incident. Motorsport fans worldwide are awaiting the start of the Formula One season for 2021 at the end of March. But the Williams Formula One team suffered a embarrassing data breach while they were undertaking the launch of their Formula One car. The planned 5th of March launch of the 2021 Williams Racing Formula 1 team car, the FW43B, has been disrupted by malicious actors who accessed the back end of an augmented reality app that the team had developed to show off its new car, and the hackers also then went on to leak details online. The team, which works extensively with Otronis, the cybersecurity firm, to protect its data, immediately pulled the app from both the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. It's understood that the app would have enabled viewers to project a full-size 3D model of the FW43B into their homes, and this was also set to host a virtual meet-and-greet with the team's bosses and drivers. In a statement, a team spokesperson said, Williams Racing planned to reveal its 2021 challenger, the FW43B, via an augmented reality app later today, 5th of March. However, sadly, because the app was hacked prior to launch, this will no longer be possible. We were very much looking forward to sharing this experience with our fans, particularly during a difficult time 
when being able to bring in-person experiences directly to our fans is sadly not possible. We can only apologise. One of Williams F1 drivers, George Russell, tweeted, Massive shame, I've seen the app and it was going to be an awesome experience for you guys. Whoever did this, seriously not cool. Williams issued an update on the 8th of March saying there is no indication or evidence to link the incident with any kind of substantial cybersecurity failure beyond the affected app and Williams has now confirmed that none of its core systems or data were accessed in the incident. A team spokesperson said further to Friday's statement, Williams Racing would like to clarify that the compromise of the AR app, which prevented us from using it to launch the FW43B livery, was completely outside of Williams Racing in-house systems and networks which are protected by leading cybersecurity companies with whom we are proud to partner. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Avon and Somerset Police have paid out £7,000 in compensation after using a video of an autism hate crime without the lady consent who was featured in the video. The person involved, who has been known only as Miss A to protect her privacy, was pushed to breaking point by the incident and tried to take her own life. Avon and the Somerset Police have apologised but said its use of footage for training purposes was well-intentioned. The woman was also left upset and distressed when police officers disclosed details of the incident in October 2019 to her boss, despite it being unrelated to her work. Avon and Somerset Police admitted the data breach but said it had happened in a bid to safeguard Miss A. Miss A also made a complaint about the footage being shown to the housing association that jointly owns her home, however this complaint was not upheld. Miss A, who was in her 40s, said, I truly felt as though the police were trying to get at me from all angles, work, home and my housing association. I was a victim of hate crime and the police have done nothing to help me. This made me feel as though there was no way out, driving me to attempt to take my own life by jumping off the third floor of the police station. After being detained due to this incident, a police officer said she recognised me from a recent training video. It was only then, three months after Miss A had reported the alleged hate crime, that she learned that the footage of an officer de-escalating the situation was being used for training purposes without her permission and had potentially been viewed by dozens of Avon and Somerset police officers. She said she felt ashamed, degraded and anxious as to who else may have seen the footage. Hayes Connor solicitors, acting on Miss A's behalf, said... We understand that Miss A was asked to provide consent for it to be used in this way and she indicated she wanted to see the footage first and also she would want any identifying features removed. The defendant, Avon and the Somerset Police, made inquiries about pixelating the footage and was told this was possible but it would take considerable time. Miss A claimed her treatment had been driven by a lack of understanding of autism, ADHD and tic disorder and said the incidents had damaged her trust in the police. She added, They rang me a few days ago concerned that I don't report things when I've been a victim. But why would I? It seems to me that because the compensation isn't coming out of their wages, they just don't care. It's got so bad that I've decided to use the compensation money to move house. I just don't want the police anywhere near me. Over on the Somerset Police confirmed the statement that the footage of Miss A had been safely and securely destroyed and will not be used for further dissemination. A spokesperson for the force said Avon and Somerset Police has apologised for a data protection breach relating to the use of body-worn video footage of an incident in October 2019 involving Miss A. The footage was used to help with officers training and was well-intentioned. Avon and Somerset Police have issued an apology to Miss A for the upset and distress caused by this breach. The apology sought to reassure her that any harm caused was unintentional and any opportunities to learn from this case would be taken. Information was also incorrectly disclosed to Miss A's manager about the incident in October 2019, which was done with the intention of helping to safeguard Miss A. A further complaint by Miss A relating to material provided to a housing association was not upheld 
following an investigation by the Professional Standards Department. This decision was upheld by the Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner. The Information Commissioner's Office was also satisfied with the reasons for this disclosure. A spokesperson for Hayes Tonner Solicitors said Hayes Tonner have dealt with many cases against a number of different constabularies across the UK. We need to raise awareness of just how important data protection is and I feel protecting the privacy of an individual should always be a priority. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now, and a multi-state settlement has been reached over a 2019 data breach that may have exposed the personal information of up to 25 million American citizens. The breach took place from August 1st, 2018 to March 30th, 2019, when an unauthorized user gained access to the internal computer system of the American Medical Collection Agency, AMCA, by hacking into a web payment portal. Once inside the system, the user was able to access a variety of sensitive data, including social security numbers, payment card information, and the results of medical tests. It took until June 3rd, 2019, for AMCA to issue a security notice regarding the breach. The company contacted impacted customers, offering them two years of complimentary credit monitoring. It later transpired that at least 23 different healthcare organisations had been impacted by the AMCA breach. After paying costs associated with the breach notification and remediation, AMCA filed for bankruptcy on June 17, 2019. The company later received permission from the bankruptcy court to settle with the multi-state coalition and on December 9, 2020, filed for dismissal of the bankruptcy. Under the terms of the settlement, Retrieval Masters Creditors Bureau doing business as AMCA may be liable for a $21 million total payment to the states. However, the payment has been suspended in light of AMCA's financial struggles and will only be activated if the company violates certain terms of the settlement agreement. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To Ireland now, and the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, has said a new bill that the government is bringing forward will take a different approach using GDPR rules. This new approach will affect the rights of an individual to access personal information that will be at the centre of new legislation on information and tracing. Speaking on RTE's Morning Ireland programme, Mr O'Dorman said that he plans to bring forward a new bill in the coming weeks to provide information for people who were subject to illegal birth registrations, people who were boarded out and to adoptees. Mr O'Dorman said he intends to use GDPR legislation to ensure that access to birth certificates and wider early birth information is central to the tracing legislation. He acknowledged that even in the context of GDPR, there are mechanisms whereby various rights are looked at in conjunction with each other, but he said the difference here is that the right to personal information will be central to the new legislation. Mr O'Dorman said the department is also working to help 151 individuals identified in the files of the St Patrick's Guild Adoption Society who had illegally registered births with issues of succession and the rectification of identity documents. He said that in parallel with the new legislation, the government had asked Dr Connor Homahoney, the Special Rapporteur on Child Protection, to examine the next steps the government can take in looking at sampling review of historic files from adoption agencies. He said the review found there were significant issues and deeply disturbing practices in terms of how births were registered in Ireland over decades and there's widespread public concern about that. Dr O'Mahoney said he's been asked to provide insight to the government 
about the next steps to deal with illegal birth registration. Meanwhile, Mr O'Dorman has told the Dáil that government will not oppose the second reading of a Sinn Féin bill that seeks to ensure that all adopted people over the age of 18 have a legal right to access their own birth certificate. However, he said the government does have some concerns around the particular approach taken by Sinn Féin and government legislation is likely to overtake the Sinn Féin bill. The Sinn Féin bill was brought forward by their spokesperson on children, Kathleen Funchen. Ms Funchen acknowledged that a wider, more comprehensive information and tracing bill does need to be put forward. She said so many adopted people have been denied this basic right for far too long. Everyone has the right to know who they are, where they were born, they have the right to know what name they were given at birth, and they have the right to know on what date they were born and what time. And they have a right to know their birth parents' names, she said. Holly Cairns of the Social Democrats accused Mr O'Dorman of playing politics with the Sinn Féin bill by not opposing it. She said that to cynically not vote it down but then do nothing about it just adds further insult to injury. I think it's completely unnecessary, particularly in relation to issues like this. Labour TD Sean Sherlock told the Dáil that his party will be supporting the Sinn Féin bill. However, he also told TDs that Labour has its own bill which is making its way through the Senate. When we have further updates on this, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay home, stay safe. To Germany now, and a 14.5 million euro fine against Sturzfonen, issued more than a year ago, has been dropped after a German court found that under German law, the property company could not be held responsible for violating GDPR unless blame could be attached to a specific individual or executive. The ruling, made by the regional court in Berlin in February, puts Germany at odds with the rest of the European Union over how GDPR should be interpreted and whether national law trumps EU law. Under Article 83 of GDPR, which relates to how administrative fines should be imposed, companies rather than individuals are held liable for data protection violations. However, in Germany, the Administrative Offences Act, OWIG, says fines can only be imposed on companies if there is evidence of a specific act undertaken by management or legal representatives that has led to the law being broken. To give a bit of background, in September 2019, Dirk Vernon was fined by the Berlin Data Protection Authority, DPA, for failing to implement measures to enable registration of tenant data that was no longer required. At the time, the €14.5 million euro fine was the largest financial penalty issued under GDPR in Germany. However, following an appeal, the company released a statement on February 23rd announcing the court declared the fine invalid because it was not sufficiently substantiated. In particular, the court held that since the Berlin DPA did not specify what actions the management team had specifically committed to cause the violations, there was no case to answer. The public prosecutor in Berlin has now appealed the decision in consultation with the Berlin DPA, but it will likely be a long time before a final decision is rendered, experts say. A spokesperson for Dirk Vernon declined to comment on the ongoing legal proceedings. This is a case that sets a clear precedent because... It's one of the few occasions where domestic law has overridden GDPR and it will therefore be watched with interest across Europe as to what the outcome of the appeal is. Obviously, once we have details of the appeal or an outcome from the appeal, we will, of course, bring that detail to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Week show. A regular question to our help desk is whether... When a laptop or a tablet is lost, let's say it's left on a train in normal times, does that have to be reported to the ICO? The answer is it depends. And it depends on two things. One is, is there any sensitive, personally identifiable information on that device, i.e. medical information or educational information? 
And secondly, how strong is the password protection on that device? If there's no password protection on it at all, then you almost certainly do have to register the loss of that item with the ICO. If there's what I would call weak security, so you know, you've used a simple password like 1234 or password, then again, you're going to need to notify that loss to the ICO. However, if you use a strong password, and even better, if the data on the device is encrypted, and remember that here is an area where Apple devices have an advantage because they, by default, encrypt the data that's stored on them anyway, then you don't need to report it to the ICO. However, of course, in all cases, you should record it on your organization's own individual data breach register. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember that several weeks ago we talked about the application of territorial enforcement to GDPR, i.e. if you have an organisation that's wholly based outside of the EU, but it deals with some EU residents, and for the purposes of this uh, article, EU is also taken to still include the UK, then does the data held on any European citizens by that company or organisation fall under GDPR? Well, there's now been a court case which has established a bit of precedent on this, the case of Soriano versus Forensic News LLC and others, considered the territorial scope of GDPR in the pre-Brexit world and whether those publishing material in the US were subject to GDPR paving the way for the claimant to seek a judicial remedy for the defendant's alleged breaches of GDPR. What the court considered was that GDPR applies to those processing personal data where either the processing is in the context of the activities of an establishment of a controller or processor in the EU, UK, or the entity located outside the EU or UK offers goods or services to data subjects in the EU or UK, or engages in the monitoring of data subjects in the EU or UK, and the application to the court has been rejected. In rejecting the application of GDPR to defendants, the court noted establishment of controller or processor, that the defendant had no employees in the UK, that the journalistic endeavours of the defendants were not orientated towards the UK, and that there were limited numbers of UK readers of the defendant's website. And in terms of offering goods or services and monitoring, the court ruled that the mere ability for those in the UK to purchase and have shipped to the UK merchandise available on the defendant's website did not amount to the defendant's offering goods or services to those in the UK. Further, such activities were not sufficiently attached to the core activities of the defendant, i.e. journalism. And secondly, that the argument that defendants could be deemed to be monitoring those in the UK was dismissed for similar reasoning. Now, obviously, this is just one case, and there will need to be many more cases before there's a clear line. But it does at least demonstrate that for some companies and organisations in the USA, with only a limited number of clients in Europe, and providing they can claim that they've not directly tried to get those clients in Europe, then it's possible they can argue that GDPR does not apply to those records that they're holding. Please do not take this as advice or being set in tablets of stone because there need to be, as I said earlier, many more cases before this can be determined. But nonetheless, it is an interesting outcome from the court and we await further outcomes with interest. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye-bye.